Hello and welcome to the sermon podcast of Landmark Baptist Church, New Hampshire. I pray that this message will be a blessing to you today. But let's start in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. That's not a good majority. If you haven't got there yet, then you'll catch up with us as we go. Galatians chapter 1, verse number 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The title of the message this morning is Grace and Peace, and we get that from verse number three, Grace be to you and peace. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for this book of the Bible. Thank you for this passage, Lord, and thank you for bringing it to my attention uh, and speaking to my heart about it, that I could bring it to the attention of those here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open up each heart, prepare each person, Lord, that we'd be ready to receive the word of God this morning, that we'd be ready to hear, as we heard in Sunday school, and to apply uh, the truths that you bring to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd empty me of myself and empower me and fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, this morning, that I would be an appropriate messenger for your truth. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take the word of God and drive it into each heart and meet meet every need and touch each heart where it's needed, Lord, this morning. And do what only you can do, God. I pray for any here that are lost without Jesus Christ, that if they died today, they would not know what would happen to them, that they would hear the gospel and recognize their need for a Savior and that they would trust Jesus today. I pray for others maybe that are struggling with something or battling with sin, Lord, and, or that are discouraged or that just need a little bit of help and comfort today, God, that you provide all of that and that you would just, even from this one passage meet many needs, and we know you can do that, and we trust you for that. So help us in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul, who is the human writer of Galatians, I say human writer because we believe God wrote the Bible. Amen. Uh, He inspired it, and uh, as men wrote, they were moved by the Spirit of God to write the things God wanted us to know. And so Paul, who is the human writer of Galatians, uh, always tends to include grace and peace in the New Testament letters that he wrote especially in the greeting as he starts off, greeting them with that grace and peace from the Lord, from God. Now, grace simply is receiving what you do not deserve, or we would say unmerited favor, getting that which you have not done anything to receive. Amen? And we, we hear songs like Amazing Grace. Everybody's probably heard of that song. It is truly amazing because grace is getting... Uh, what we could not earn, what we could not buy, what we could not do on our own. It was solely on God and his love for us that we have the opportunity to even be saved. So grace is receiving what you do not deserve. Peace is quiet and rest in your soul or between two parties. And uh, how many desire peace in their life? Amen. In your soul and, and probably amongst those that uh, we surround ourselves with that we come across. Peace. So we have grace. And peace, grace is given by God to sinners through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say to sinners, I'm talking to every one of us, amen? 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you're a sinner and you know it, say amen. I'm not saying you're proud of it. I just say you know it. Uh, we should never be proud of it for sure. But we all know we're sinners because God says it and we know ourselves. Amen. So grace is given to God by God to sinners through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ by giving us something we didn't deserve. We're sinners. We've sinned. We're bound for hell. We deserve death and separation from God forever. But his grace caused him to send the Lord Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sins and to pay the price we should have paid. We're undeserving for sure. Peace, that peace from God is received when grace is applied through believing and receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. You can have grace and peace through Jesus. Not what the world can give, but what God can give. The world can try to give counterfeits to that, but it'll never suffice. It'll never satisfy you. It'll never fill the need that you and I have. But God's grace and peace can come through Jesus Christ if we would believe. As a Christian, you say, I've already trusted Jesus as my Savior. As a Christian, grace is peace. Grace and peace is available to you at any moment. Isn't that good to know? That God's grace and God's peace is available anytime you need it as a follower of Jesus Christ. And listen, you can't measure that with money. You can't measure that in any of the world's standards of measurements to have God's grace and peace. Grace is not getting what you deserve, but I also like to add that it's also getting what we don't have in and of ourselves. And uh, you can't buy that. You can't get that from this world or from anyone or anything. As my dad used to say about things when he preached back in the day, he'd say, you can't go down to... Shaw's and buy a pound of grace. Amen? They're not going to have it. Or peace. You're not going to find it there. It won't be at the deli. As we consider some of these verses we see in Galatians chapter 1, we will see God's grace and peace through God's dealings with us. And as I read this, and I didn't think much of it, but as I was thinking and connecting the grace and peace that God gives, that Paul's saying, grace and peace be unto you from from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. I see in some of the verses, in verses uh, uh, 4 and, and down, we see God's grace and peace in some of the ways he deals with you and I. And I want to look at that this morning. The first will be God's way of salvation. God's way of salvation. As we follow verse 3 down to verse 4, it says, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. What a wonderful truth that is. And listen, if you're a Christian, listen, that still ought to excite you a little bit. Who gave himself for our sins. Right? Let me tell you, he didn't give himself for his sins because he didn't have any. He's sinless. He lived this life, faced the temptations, yet without sin, the Bible tells us. But he gave himself for our sins. That's your sins. Think of all the sin you've ever committed. You won't be able to because... You probably won't remember half of them. But think about sin in your life. Think about things you've overcome. Think about things you still struggle with. Think about the thoughts and the actions and the words that you know are wrong and against God, that you know don't please him, but rather offend him. And when you think about your sin, realize he gave himself for your sin. Not for his sin. He didn't have any, but for your sin. We would never do that for anybody else. But he did that for us. He gave himself for our sins. In fact, the Bible says he became sin for us. I, I, I can somewhat, I guess, understand of 
giving myself for someone else's wrongs, but to actually become that wrong is a whole nother level of understanding, that he became sin. From our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Notice our God didn't give someone else for our sins either. I think about it, he didn't say, he didn't just pluck someone out of the, the earth and say, all right, this time period, this person, let's let them die. No, he said, I'm going to, because we know Jesus is God. By the way, don't forget that. If, if you don't believe that, then everything else you believe falls apart. When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the Bible, Jesus is God. He's not just, he's not a God. He's not a good man. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a moral person. We were talking to someone door knocking yesterday that believed that. We're trying to help convince them of the truth of Jesus Christ and what the Bible says and that he rose from the dead and that he is God. And he is God. So God himself gave himself in the person of Jesus Christ for your sin. What an amazing thought that he would do that. The sinless almighty God would die in our place, in your place, to bear your sins on the cross. He gave himself. By the way, it wasn't taken from him. Amen. He gave himself. That's something to think about. He wasn't forced into it. He didn't have to. He wanted to. When you give yourself, when you give of something freely and willingly, with an amazing act of compassion and love, he gave himself. So we see here God's way of salvation. God is only one way to salvation. I know that goes against much of the world today, but it's the truth. God is only one way to salvation. That is through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way of the gospel. Jesus Christ is not one of many ways or the way plus another. You can't add to Jesus. You can't add to his gospel. He's not one of many ways. You can choose him, but you can also choose the way of this religion or the way of this good teacher, the way of this God. No, Jesus Christ is not one of many. He is the only way alone. In John 14, 5 and 6, this isn't my opinion, this is the Bible's opinion. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way, the way to heaven, the way to get to, to where God is? Jesus had just been talking about heaven and that there's many mansions. And if I go, I'll come again. And Thomas said, well, how do we know the way you're going? How do we get there? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, Jesus said. You can't get to God through religion. You can't get to God through coming to church. You can't get to, get to God through doing good works or, or, or because your family uh, came to God. No, you only get to God one way, and that's through Jesus. This is God's way of salvation. God's grace, as we talk about grace and peace, God's grace provides forgiveness of sin and a relationship with Him through His Son. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. Right? God's grace given to us and the sacrifice He made through Jesus. And how do we respond to that? Through faith. We believe in Him and on Him for our salvation. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves. It's not about you. You can't do anything. It is the gift of God. You just have to receive it. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Many people are boasting of their religion today. Many people are boasting of their good works today. Many people are filled with pride about how good of a person they are, how righteous they are, and how unrighteous someone else is. But that's not God's way. 
Because if we understand we didn't get to heaven, we can't get to heaven, we can't be forgiven, we can't do anything on our own to be forgiven or saved, and it's solely on his grace and our reception of that through faith, if we believe that, then we're, we're going to have a humble spirit, not a boastful attitude. God's way of salvation. When received, when that, through his grace, by faith, when God's way of salvation is received, it produces peace with God. Saying grace and peace, how does that fit into the equation? God's grace, for by grace you're saved through faith. God's peace, Colossians 1.20, speaking of Jesus and having made peace through the blood of his cross. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. As Jesus was dying on the cross and shedding his blood for our sins, he was making peace. He was reconciling us to God. Just because he did that, not everybody's saved or forgiven. We have to, by faith, receive Jesus in a sacrifice for us, personally, alone. Nothing else added. Romans 5.1 puts it this way, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, don't wait till you're on your deathbed to say, Well, I'll just make peace with God then. Chances are you probably won't. You don't know the situations of your death. You don't know how fast you will go, how slow you will go. You don't know what you're going to face or where your mindset will be at. You don't know how hard your heart will be. Now's the accepted time. Now's the time to be saved. To make peace with God. And if you have peace with God now, then you can have the peace of God the rest of your life. God's way of salvation springs from God's grace and gives us peace with God. Speaking of grace and peace and God's dealings with us, we see God's way of salvation, but we also see God's will for the saved. God's will for the saved. Look at verse number four again, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. God's will for the saved, we see, uh, delivered from this present evil world according to to the will of God and our Father. That means it's God's will that he deliver us from this present evil world. That means it's God's will that we are sanctified, meaning set apart from this world and from sin and separated unto Jesus. Not perfect, but as the Spirit of God works within us, growing in grace and knowledge and holiness and righteousness, that we may please God and be like Jesus. That is a process the Holy Spirit does over a lifetime in the in the, in the heart of a, of a believer. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. You don't get part of him or half of him or a little bit of him. You get all of him. He's a person. God the Spirit. And he comes and abides within you. And he has a purpose in our lives. If we would yield ourselves to him. And he'll change us and convict us and teach us and witness of Jesus and, and uh, help us in our life, to witness and to be empowered to do what God wants us to do and to live a life pleasing to Him if we would submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God within. Some Christians, unfortunately, walk around like the Spirit of God doesn't live within them. We've got to acknowledge that He's real. He's a, he's a person of the Trinity, of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And He comes and lives within you. He must be yielded to his proddings, his leadings, his empowerment, all based on the word of God because the spirit will never leave contrary to the Bible. And as we yield ourselves to him and as he brings scripture to our remembrance and helps us to, uh, uh, to, to follow Christ and to live like him, we are being sanctified. 
Believers are in the world, but not of it. Very simple statement, but very clear. May it help us to understand. Yes, we live in this world. We, we live in this world. We have a house. We have cars. We have jobs. We go shopping in this world. But we're not of it. John 15, 9, Jesus said, If you are of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. I know no one wants to be hated, but it's bound to happen if you're following Jesus. You say, why? Because they hated Jesus. And if you're being more and more made in the image of Jesus Christ, conformed to the image of his Son, then you're going to find the world's going to react to you like the way the world reacted to Jesus. The Bible tells us uh, that God tells us not to be conformed to this world. That means molded after the pattern and form of the world. Romans 12, 2 tells us that. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So instead of being conformed to the world, we're supposed to be conformed to the will of God. That ought to be our focus. We live in the world, but the world's not our goal. The world's not our vision. The world's not what we're striving for. The world's not what we're seeking after. Rather, it's the will of God that we're seeking after. It's the will of God that we want to follow after. It's the will of God that we want to pursue. And we find that in his word and by his spirit as he makes it personal to us. God intends to deliver us from this present evil world. You say, uh, what present evil, evil world? We'll say the present evil world we're in today. Evil, wicked, ungodly, not pleasing to God. He intends to deliver us from the present evil world, first from the sin of it, as he helps us to overcome sin in our lives, and then ultimately altogether as he brings us to heaven. God's will for believers concerning the world should lead, lead a believer toward, toward a particular response. So if it's God's will, he says, according to the will of God, I did deliver you from this present evil world. It's God's will for believers concerning this world to have a particular response. You say, what's that response toward the world? 1 John 2, 15 and 17, through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He says, so I can't love oranges and apples. I can't love comfortable buildings. And, and it gets specific in, in this passage. For all that is in the world, what's in the world that we're not supposed to love? The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's two words in there that stick out to me that always correlate to the world, lust and pride. Lust and pride. Wanting what you shouldn't have, going after that which isn't yours, going after that which God says no, and then being lifted up with pride, lifting up yourself in the place of God. That's a worldly spirit, a worldly attitude, a worldly lifestyle when there's lust and pride mixed in there. Now, we all battle with those things in our lives, no doubt. But we've got to determine not to love them. Better determined to allow God to deliver us from that. And that's a day-by-day -day process or basis. Every day getting up, say, God, I know my flesh is going to want to do that which is wrong. I know my flesh is going to want to go after 
that which I want to go after. I know my flesh is going to seek after that worldly a spirit of lust and pride. And God, help me. I give myself to you. I surrender myself to you. That you would help me not to go after that. Not to love that. But to have an affection for the things of God in heaven, not the things of earth. God's grace will help us to overcome the sin, the wickedness, and the wrong goals and idea, ideals of this world. God's grace helps us. See, I can't do it in myself. You're right. That's why we have the Spirit of God within. That's why we have the Word of God without. That's why at any moment we can beseech and seek the throne of grace, that God would give us His grace to accomplish what He wants us to do. The Bible says He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And so we have access to everything we need if we will use it. Titus 2, 11 through 13 tells us what the grace of God does for us. For the grace of God bringeth salvation. Right? We know that. We've talked about that. Hath appeared to all men, anyone that's willing, by faith to receive his son, his act of grace and love. But what does the grace of God teach us? For the grace of God bringeth salvation, hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Talked about God might deliver us from this present evil world here. Uh, the Bible's telling us by the grace of God, it teaches us to deny those worldly lusts and pride and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Though he'll deliver us from it someday, while we're in it, we must yield ourselves to his grace and his leading and his help to be able to live the proper way in the present world. And notice it says at the end, looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of, our, of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we know, hey, we'll be delivered from it. Right now, God can help deliver us from the power of sin in our lives, deliver us from living after this world's lust and pride and, and philosophies that are contrary to the word of God. God will give us help while we're in it to live godly and righteous in this present world. But at the same time, we're looking for that blessed hope, the Lord Jesus Christ is returning. And as we do, we understand that'll be that ultimate deliverance from this present world where we're with him for all eternity. Along with his grace comes his peace in the midst of this world's difficulty. Say so we live in this present evil world. It's hard. Things are changing. Things are difficult. Trials come, wickedness abounds, and you'd be right. You say, what do I do? Just ask God for his peace. In fact, you don't really have to ask it. You just have to accept it because Jesus already said, I've given you my peace. In John chapter 16, verse 33, these things have I spoken unto you that in me, in Jesus, you might have peace. In the world, get ready for some good news. In the world, you shall have tribulation. That's not the good news, but... You shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. Well, it's difficult. There's tribulation. I feel like there's a lack of peace. You'd be right. But he said, I've given you peace, so rejoice. God's will for the saved is that we're delivered from this present evil world. Are you being delivered from or indulging in this present evil world? It's a question to ask ourselves and assess our own hearts this morning. Are you being delivered from because you're trusting the Lord, you're claiming his help and his grace to overcome those things of the world, that lust and that pride, 
and all that comes along with that anti-God and Bible mentality? Are you being delivered from it or are you indulging in it? Hungering after it, going after it, consuming your life with it. His grace and peace can help as we rely on him for the power to live righteously in this world and also to look for heaven one day. Talking about grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw God's way of salvation who gave himself for our sins. We saw God's will for the saved that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and the Father. And thirdly, we want to see God's worship from all to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse number five. God's grace and peace certainly warrants worship of God. If you've experienced his grace and peace, either through salvation or as a Christian receiving it when you needed it, you know what I'm talking about in this matter of worship. You don't have to be conjoled to worship. You don't have to be inspired to sing unto him. You don't have to be worked up to praise him if you understand his grace and peace in your life. If you're saved, man, you have all you need to worship him for the rest of your life and for eternity. And as a Christian, if you've experienced his grace, giving you what you don't deserve, if you've experienced his peace in the midst of turmoil and trouble, and then listen, you have something to, to shout about. You have something to sing about. You have something to worship him about. And to whom be glory forever and ever. It indicates that we ought to worship him, and it indicates the time frame forever and ever. It indicates how long perpetually, without stopping, going on and on and on and on and on. To him be glory. To him be glory. Oh, listen, you've overcome some things in your life, praise the Lord, but to him be glory. You've accomplished some things in your life, and you've done some great things, and, and, and others look at you, and you get accolades. Uh, that's great, but to him be glory. Praise him for that. You couldn't do it without him. It's only by his grace that you can. To him be glory forever and ever. Oh, listen, man will have their time of worshiping man for a little bit, but that'll stop at some point. But God will be glorified and worshiped forever and ever. 1 Timothy 1, 14 through 17, the apostle Paul, speaking of the grace that was given to him, he says this, and it ends with, this worship, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Let me just stop there for a second. Exceeding abundant. That's a good way to explain grace, isn't it? Exceeding abundant. There's no other way. It's not just, eh, it's just a little bit of grace. It's exceeding abundant every time because we're undeserving of it every time because it's more than we have in and of ourselves, every time, because it's something God does every time. And if it's His grace, it's exceeding abundant. That doesn't even explain or verbalize the worship of it and the importance of it, but it helps us to at least see it in our language. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save righteous people, religious people, churchgoers. No. Who did Christ Jesus come into the world to save? 
Anyone? Sinners. You. And me. How be it? Excuse me. He says, of whom I am chief. Paul says, I'm pretty bad. Just the man who wrote half of the New Testament, the human author. I'm pretty bad. I'm the worst. I'm the chief of sinners. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, as another great word, which we want to explore today, but mercy is simply not getting what you do deserve. He says that in me first, Jesus Christ, might show forth all long suffering for a pattern of them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now here's the praise unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever. And ever. Amen. God's worship to all. That's just worship in this life in response to God's grace. Just think about it for a second. That, that's just worship in this life. This is just one man who experienced the grace of God, who can't help but mention the grace of God as he writes and as God inspires him, uh, who understands someone who is heading in one totally di different direction, persecuting Christians, uh, thinking he was pleasing God, but he wasn't. And God turned him around, and he headed in the other direction, preaching Jesus and helping Christians and reaching them. And uh, he sees the grace of God all over his life. He sees that he shouldn't be where he's at. He sees that he shouldn't be forgiven. He th thinks of himself as the least of all the apostles and the chief of all sinners. This one, just one person on earth giving this much glory and honor and praise to God. And we ought to join in that, of course. You say, well, I wasn't that bad before. You were a sinner, lost, for, lost and bound for hell. And God saved you. Man, that, that's worship just in this life. Man, when we come together to sing praises, we ought to sing with joy and enthusiasm, with passion, and maybe even a little tear in our eye every once in a while when we think of the words of the, the songs we're singing and what God has done for us. But, you know, in heaven, in heaven we'll be worshiping our Lord for his salvation forever. That's the forever part. To whom be glory. Hey, that's presently in this present evil world. We ought to be the loudest to give God the glory, to praise him, to worship him. But it also says forever and ever. And, and that's the part when we're in heaven with God, we'll be praising him forever. You say, what will we do in heaven? Well, one thing we'll be doing is worshiping him and praising him. And looking at Revelation 5, 19 through Something, I put 19 through 12, and that doesn't even make sense. So anyway, Revelation chapter 5, let me read a few verses somewhere in the chapter. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God's kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard a, ver a voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That saying is a lot of people, a lot of beings saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That won't be an uncommon scene in heaven. And praise the Lord for the Worship of God. We ought to start now, and we'll continue when we're in heaven. Grace and peace are such wonderful words, and more than just words. Wonderful how God applies them to our life. 
When we consider God's grace that is sufficient for us and his peace that passeth all understanding, we must pause and worship. But fourth, we see, considering his grace and peace, God's warning of false gospels. God's warning of false gospels. Look at verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that calleth you into the grace of Christ. Notice the word grace. Removed you from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. By the way, folks will be perverting the gospel of Christ till Jesus comes. And even when he comes in the air to, to receive believers up at the rapture, that perversion will continue through the tribulation. Until one day he deals with his enemies and reigns forever. But keep reading with me. Verse 7, which is not a number, but there be some that trouble you and will pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, that which we find in the word of God, that which has been testified of and written under God's inspiration. Preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. We see God's warnings, warning of false gospels. God's warnings from his word are certainly expressions of his grace. Right? He could have just left us just wondering, well, is this true? Is that true? But no, he gives warnings to be clear to us that all through this present evil world and all through the different generations, there's going to be those who will seek to pervert the gospel of Christ. There will be those who will seek to twist who Jesus is. There will be those who will seem to uh, uh, say things that make sense but aren't biblical. And so God gives warnings of this and if we'll heed them we'll have peace his grace says hey i'm telling you what's what's to come i'm telling you what you're going to face and if we believe it and we follow it and we heed to it there'll be peace because we'll know i know that's not right i know that's not the true gospel i know that's not that that's not jesus and there'll be a peace understanding of what is happening notice the warning here has to do with proclaiming or receiving a false gospel very simply, a false gospel is anything that adds to the true gospel. The true gospel is believing on Christ and trusting his death, burial, and resurrection for your salvation. Be warned of additions to the simplicity of salvation by adding other means of salvation or another Jesus altogether. So what does it have to do with grace and peace? Because grace can be twisted. Peace can be false. If we believe a false gospel, we will not have the grace and peace that God would want us to have. In 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 4, it's written, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind shall be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. When you think of this serpent beguiling Eve, right? A little bit of, a little bit of truth in there, twisted. Uh, a, a little bit of uh, just a perversion of what God said to tempt her to do what God said not to do. And he said, I, I'm worried lest your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. God's command was very clear to Adam and Eve. You can eat of all the trees of the garden, just don't touch that one. The gospel is very simple. Jesus came. This is who Jesus is. We find it in the Bible. There's one way, one manner of salvation, one gospel, one Lord. This is him. You must put your faith in him. 
Receive him as your Savior through faith. That's it. You don't have to add any works. It's not by our works. We're not justified by works. We're justified by faith. It's very clear. It's simple. Salvation wasn't easy for Jesus, but it's simple for us. And that can be twisted. For if he that cometh, in 2 Corinthians 11, if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or, we, or ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which you have not accepted, you might well bear with them. He was concerned lest they bear with and accept this false gospel, this false Jesus, or this false doctrine. And that's still the Lord's concern today. Because he knows how tossed about we are sometimes with every wind of doctrine. How we'll just accept it because, well, he's a good guy. Or we accept it because he seems to know the Bible. Or we accept it because it just sounds somewhat biblical. But we've got to do the, do the research ourselves and see if it is indeed biblical. Be warned against any one or any doctrine that denies Jesus or diminishes his importance. Most of the cults and false religions out there, uh, a big characteristic is the diminishing of who Jesus is. And so if they begin to diminish Jesus or his importance in salvation, then there's a problem. That should be a, a warning to us. In 2 Peter 2, 1 through 2, says, But there are false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many, can you believe that? Many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth, the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Let me say this as we coming to the, to the close of the message of grace and peace. Be warned of doctrine that may use similar language but different definitions. There's many who don't believe in what the Bible says but use similar language, similar words, but different definitions. I always ask, well, what does, that, what does that mean? What does that mean to you to be a Christian? That means I go to church. That's not what it means to be a Christian. What do you, who do you mean by Jesus? He's the Son of God. You, does that mean you believe He's God the Son? Jude 4 says, For there are certain men crept in unawares, and we're speaking about grace and peace, so listen to this about grace. Certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, wickedness, ungodliness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Turning that which is, should be powerful in our lives. Understanding we're undeserving of what God's given to us. Turning that which we ought to worship Him and praise Him and humble ourselves before Him in obedience and submission. Turning that into lasciviousness. Well, since, since it's all God and He's given this to me and He understands my sin and grace is greater than sin. Turning that into, well, I'm just going to live however God understands. Just turning that to the lasciviousness, to ungodliness, and ultimately, in this case, denying the Lord. Denying who Jesus really is. We are warned against false teachers, preachers, and a false gospel that masquerades as God's grace and peace, but brings works and unrest. God's grace and peace. We've seen it here through some of the verses, and this is just some of the verses. We see God's Wonderful grace, amazing grace, marvelous grace. We see his peace, 
even in times of turbulation in your own life, even in times of tribulation and trials that you face, there's a great peace God can give us within. Even in this world is going crazy, you can have a settled heart on the Lord. You're going through something and you, you don't have the strength, you don't have the ability, you don't have the wisdom, you don't have the whatever. God's grace can be abundant in your life, exceeding abundant. Grace and peace are ma magnificent and powerful and available, and in fact, not just available, but needed for this life and for the next. God's grace and peace are seen in God's way of salvation, in God's will for the saved, in God's worship for all, and even in God's warnings of false gospels.